The Bible says that we overcome by the word of our testimony. Guys, I have such a crazy episode planned for you today because I'm joined by a special guest who's got an incredible testimony. This guy has been through everything. He is the author of the book, From Chains to Saved. His name's Adam Vibe Gunton. I know him personally. I've been in relationship with him. He's a personal friend of mine for the last couple of years. And his story is so good. I've been looking forward to the day when I could have him on the platform so you could hear his personal testimony. Now, Adam comes from a background of addiction. It didn't start that way. He started in a normal household, an athlete, someone that was just having a normal childhood until one day he made a bad decision. And that led into some crazy places in life but through the testimony that God has given him, he has overcome that addiction, and now he's on a mission to help others get recovered. So it doesn't matter if you're suffering with an addiction. That's really not what this show is about. It's about the power of a testimony. But if you happen to know someone who has an addiction in your life, or if you're touched by this, you're going to want to stick around to find out about the work Adam does. And stay to the end because you're going to find out about how to get your free copy of his testimony from Chains to saved. Let's get into it. This is Raising the Standard, leadership, mindset, and development for the ambitious Christian man. Identify, unlock, and access spiritual secrets and strategies grounded in biblical truth so you can run your race and maximize your impact and influence. It's time to lead yourself, your family, and your world. Let's get after it. Adam Vibe Gunton, bro, it's an honor to have you in the studio. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Josh, thanks so much for having me, brother. I'm excited, man. I have uh, looked up to you since I met you and coming on your platform and being able to share with your audience is uh, it's a pleasure, man. Super excited. Yeah, man. The feeling is mutual. You know, I just want to tell the audience that Adam has an incredible story. It's so powerful. And I wanted you to hear it today because it's so good that I know it has the power to transform lives. And it's actually doing that. And we'll get into your mission, Adam, and we'll tell people about what you're currently focused on. But sometimes people don't know the backstory. And to understand what your current mission is, what your current purpose is, we know that God redeems everything. And he certainly redeemed your story, your life, and put you on a pathway to your current purpose, your current mission. And I want to unwrap that today for the audience. Now, Guys listening, I'll tell you, I've heard this story a few times. Not only is Adam a gifted communicator, not only is he gifted as a coach and what he does, and you're about to find out what that is, but the the way he imparts his testimony and shares what God has done for him and how Jesus has changed his life is so powerful. And it really aligns with that scripture that we overcome by the blood, but we also overcome by the word of our testimony. So no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, you have something that God did in your life. There is power in that. There's an anointing on that. And I'm just going to let Adam go loose here to talk about his story. And I'll interject with some questions. But Adam, I just want to hand it over to you and, and give us your background and walk us through where you were and where you are now. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Uh, I grew up, you know, in middle America and was kind of blessed as that like all American kid. You know, I was getting straight A's in, in elementary school, going into middle school. I was asked to skip a grade. Uh, I was on a football team in Little League. We won state every year. We won nationals one year. I won state wrestling in Little League. And uh, when I was 10 years old, I gave my life to Christ. 
my best friend came over and, you know, I wasn't raised in like a religious household or anything, but I always kind of sensed something higher. I always had that, like that sense that there was something there and I didn't really understand it. And I knew that this friend of mine, Ben, his family went to church. So while he was over staying the night when I was 10 years old, I asked him, I was like, who is, who is God? What is this? And you know, two 10 year olds in my mom's basement, uh, standing there and I'm, I'm asking him this. And he said, well, I know that you just have to give your heart to Jesus. And I said, well, how do I do that? And he said, well, we have to get on our knees. So two little 10 year olds in my mom's basement, uh, kneeling across from each other. And he said, do you accept Jesus in your heart? And I said, yes. And right when I said that I had this, like, and I'm getting it right now again, you know, those, those Holy spirit goosebumps, you know, where you just like sense his presence. Right. And, you know, I believe, even though I'm about to tell you everything that I went through after that, uh, I believe since that moment, you know, Jesus has not only been with me, but he never left me. And I believe that my eternity is sealed with that. And, you know, shortly after that, while I was doing all this uh, football and wrestling and baseball and everything, uh, I was introduced to cocaine at 12 years old and was kind of, you know, kind of pushed into it a little bit by an older influence. And it became cool to me to party, to drink, to use drugs, things like that. So here I am. I'm the captain of the state championship football team at Columbine High School my senior year. I'm the captain of the wrestling team. And I'm also, you know, using and abusing and selling hardcore drugs while I'm off the field. And this whole time, I think that it's fun. This whole time that, you know, I'm just, you know, partying on the weekends and partying when I'm not in school and that kind of stuff. And my freshman year of college is when it all kind of changed. It was September 28th, 2008. And I'd been out drinking and partying like most nights of my freshman year of college. When I woke up to my phone ringing and vibrating down by my leg. And I swam through the soft sheets to find the hard phone with the bright screen that read 4.47 a.m., and my best friend Chucker was calling me. And I remember having the conscious choice that I could either answer the phone like I always do with, hey, what's up, Chuck? Or I could answer the way I was feeling with, oh, hello. And in my still drunken state, I chose the latter, to which a soft voice replied, hey, what's up? Why are you calling me this late? I was just calling to say hi. Don't call me this late again. And I hung up on him. And he shot himself. And for nearly a decade, I was unable to share that phone call with anyone as I bottled it down deeper and deeper and deeper with drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol were no longer a way to party and have fun. Drugs and alcohol were the only solution to life that I had actually learned to this moment. So now with all this pain coming at me, my friends are consoling me, coming up and hugging me, saying they're so sorry for me because my best friend died. And then deep in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, I killed him. You know, and I have the only way I know how to hide this from everybody is to use drugs. So I'm going to skip through a whole lot of the, you know, horrific things of addiction that a lot of people have heard. But it was bad for me. It was really bad for me. In 2015, on November 6th, I was found unresponsive without breath or pulse by the police from an overdose behind the wheel of a car. And I actually have the body cam footage from that. I'm super blessed to have that body cam footage to remember where I was at. But even after that moment, I, I still couldn't stop using. I was put on felony probation. 
Uh, and for the next two years, I struggled. I ended up homeless. I was 86 from a homeless shelter, which means I could not go back to the homeless shelter. So I was living on the streets. I was hungry. I even went back to the homeless shelter to get in line for lunch because everybody, even if you're not living there, you're allowed to come for lunch. I get in line and they kick me out of line. So that's where my addiction took me, being alone, hopeless, and uh, just unable to stop. And it was a really, really scary situation. And at the end, I was going to two 12-step meetings per day. 12 steps are like NA, AA, CA, those kinds of meetings. I was going to church every Saturday and every Sunday, and I was going to a Bible study every Tuesday. And on November 7th of 2017, I had used the day before, and it was a Tuesday right before Bible study. And I'm 148 pounds at the time. I'm like 215 right now. And I'm sitting in this car that this girl let me borrow. And I had this epiphany. Like, I have literally tried everything available to me to stop using. Uh, and I can't stop. So I sat back in that seat, and I audibly said to God, I'm done. I'm not going to this Bible study. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to these meetings. Please, God, just let me die. I can't do this anymore. And I remember how honest I was with that request. I didn't realize the difference between me wanting to die and me just not wanting my life anymore uh, until later on. But I'm sitting there and I say that to him and he just whispers to me in that, in that soft voice. It wasn't from outside. It was this soft voice that was like right in my heart. And he said, it's time, go. And right when I heard that, I didn't like get this, this sense of power, this sense of like, yes, I got angry because he's telling me this, yet there has been so many other times that I've tried to stop. What about the, what about the times that I've taken all of my dope one night, put it in the toilet, flush it down, saying I'm never going to use again. And if you would have strapped me up to a lie detector, I would have passed it. I'm never going to use again. Then in the morning when I wake up, I went and pawned my TV to go get dope. What's different about this time? So I'm, so I'm in my car and I'm screaming at God. I'm crying. I'm hitting the roof of the ceiling. I'm hitting the steering wheel. I'm like, what's different about this time? God, please just let me die. Please just let me die. And I'm bawling and I'm bawling and I'm yelling at him for a few minutes. And then when I get kind of calmed down and I get it all out, he just, he lets me get all my emotions out. And then when I, when I calm down, he just repeats himself and he said, it's time, go. And Again, I didn't get this sense of like overwhelming Holy Spirit power, like he, he did it, you know, but I got this sense of willingness that I had never had before. Everything that I had done to that point of, you know, going to two meetings a day in the church, the Bible study, all this stuff, I had a really tight grasp on my plans, a really tight grasp of the control of how I was going to do this. And none of it was working. And this willingness that I had just recognized was whatever, whatever he puts in front of me, whatever I'm told to do, I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to do it because I've lost everything. I can't, I can't do it anymore. So I go to this Bible study. I'm 12 minutes late. I bust the doors open. We're in Billings, Montana, and all the guys are in the middle of prayer. And I interrupt the prayer and I drop down on my knees and I throw my hands up and I'm like, guys, please help me. I used again. I can't stop. Please help me. Please help me. And, you know, they've been seeing this for months. But the difference from this time 
to all the other times, and I remember it, I remember the difference, was I wasn't throwing my hands up to that Bible study. I wasn't throwing my hands up to a fellowship or to a church or to a pastor. I was throwing my hands up in surrender to God, asking him to take my life and help me. And Brendan, my best friend, comes over and he calls me down. He's the leader of the Bible study. He's like, hey, bro, let's just get through Bible study, you know? And we get through Bible study. And then at the end, one of the elders comes up to me, Carmen, and he says, hey, I just got a word. I need to pray for you. And everybody else had left except for Carmen and then George, who was another elder, and Brendan. And for the first time, think of this, the first time in my life, somebody stood in front of me, sat me on an ottoman in front of him, put his hand on my shoulder, looked me in the eyes, and started casting spirits out of me. Starts saying, spirit of addiction, leave. Spirit of depression, leave. Spirit of anxiety, leave. And starts yelling at all these things in the name of Jesus. And this is the first time I've ever had this. And during this experience, I'm literally feeling weight coming off of my shoulders, weight coming off of my heart. Things that I felt were gripping me were leaving. And it was, it was an incredible experience. And when I leave that Bible study, you know, I, I felt like, I felt like I had a chance. So I didn't use, I, I made it five days uh, after that. And Brendan, who was, you know, taking care of me during this time, just coming and picking me up from homeless shelters, from the street, whatever to feed me. He takes me to IHOP for breakfast one morning and uh, five days clean and sober. We're sitting there and we're talking. I'm all excited, like, bro, I'm actually doing it. I've got five days. And, and uh, then I get a text message on my phone and it's from my dope dealer. He's like, hey, bro, I just got some new stuff. It's fire. I'll give you a free 20 to try out. And right when I read it, I felt the spirit go in through the top of my head, all the way through my body. My toes were tingling. My fingers were tingling. I lost my peripheral vision, so all I could see was my phone, and then my thumbs just started texting back. And it was in like King James. It was like, ye shall not text me again. Thou hast texted me for the last time. And it was going crazy. <laughs> then at the end of the text, it says, and fear the pain you cause your son, because your son has been blessed with the Holy Spirit. And then I feel the Spirit leave me. And then I look at the phone, because I couldn't even like read it while I was writing. I was like, what the heck is that? And I show it to Brennan. I was like, dude, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. And he's like, okay. And I push send. I close it, I put it in my pocket, I'm looking down at my pocket, and I'm like, dude, I don't know what that was, I don't know who that was, and I look back up, and Jesus is sitting across from me. The entire restaurant had completely disappeared, all I could see was his face, there was a glow coming from behind him, a bright light coming from behind him, and he was smiling. And the only thing that I can compare to that moment, the feelings that were going on inside of me, was when I used to shoot up heroin. It was as if, in an instant, all the negative thoughts, all the worries, all the anxieties, everything just flooded out of me with one warm flood into me. But the difference between heroin and Jesus in that moment was that when all of that negative stuff left me, in an instant, everything positive that you could possibly imagine flowed into me. This overwhelming sense of love, like unconditional love, value, like my life had infinite value. I, I felt at peace like I had never felt before. I just knew. And this is all happening in less than a second. I, I saw him, knew who it was, and knew what was happening, and immediately fell to my face at the table, my hand up. I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And I came back up, and he was gone. And for some 
people, I, you hear testimonies, and I believe it's absolutely possible that, that God has his power to lift the obsession, lift the cravings, lift all of that instantly. That's not my story. Jesus said, hey, I'm here. You've got work to do. And so for the next 21 days, I am craving, I'm withdrawing, I'm sick, but I embarked on the 12 steps. And, you know, uh, a passage that is in Galatians that I really took to heart at this time was if a, if a law was written to impart life, then we got to do it. And we've got to do it. And I took that as the 12 steps being that law that was written for me to do to connect with God and to recover. And every day, the only release I got from those cravings and withdrawals and everything was when I was actually working the steps. So my sponsor was picking me up every morning at 6.30 a.m. at my sober house, and we would go to the movie theater he managed into the basement. We would do the work. On day 25, he came and picked me up. We went and did my, fit, my first ever fifth step, which is where you basically confess your whole life and look for character defects and things like that. Nothing miraculous happened. Then on day 26, he came and picked me up in his 1983 mailman Jeep, and we're headed to that movie theater, and I'm looking over at this beautiful sunrise, and I have a spiritual awakening that for the first time since I was 12 years old, I had absolutely no desire to drink or use. It was as if one day my mind went this way to what am I going to use? How am I going to get it? How long am I going to be able to stay sober? All that to the next day, there was no desire. And it was as if drugs and alcohol were out of my life. And I believe that Jesus is able to do that in an instant. I also believe that he showed me during this process that I need to co-labor with him in everything that I'm doing with life. I believe that it was rewarding to meet him and extremely rewarding to do work with him that got results like that. On day 30, it was my first ever time getting 30 days clean and sober since I was 12 years old. I still have the journal from this day because I was journaling the whole time. And I'm like, God, this is amazing. I can't believe I got 30 days. Um, thank you so much for getting me here. God, it would be amazing if I didn't smoke cigarettes anymore. I want to show everybody in the world it's possible to not drink use drugs, or smoke cigarettes ever again. And I haven't had a drag of a cigarette since day 30. Eight days later, so I'm eight days away from a pack-a-day smoking habit, I hopped on a treadmill just because I was like, what else can you do, God? Like, what else can you do? Day 38, clean and sober, I ran a mile in seven minutes and 18 seconds. And during the pandemic, I got that down to five minutes and 57 seconds. And this is coming from someone who was sick, Josh. I was as sick as they come for an addict and I've just been, you know, I'm not perfect in any, by any stretch of the means, but Jesus has done something in me that nothing else could bro. Nothing else could. So good. So powerful, Adam. Thank you for sharing that. I have a few questions for you and then I want to, I want to pivot to the current mission. And um, for anyone listening on the podcast, you can watch this on YouTube as well. Adam's in great shape. He's actually training for a fight right now. Let's just take a detour on that real quick. So tell me about that, because obviously you, when I met you, I mean, you were already in good shape. You got bit by, you know, the fitness thing. You really want to up-level your life in every area since you've been delivered. So tell us about the fight training right now real quick. And then I got a couple of questions for you. 
Yeah, I believe in recovery, we have to do things that we're looking forward to. And especially if there is an activity or a hobby or something that we had to let go because of drugs, we should pick it back up if we love it. Uh, I wrestled, you know, for a long time in my life. And when I was 18, 19, I was training MMA. I was actually training for my first fight. And after Chuck's suicide, and I went off the rails with opiates, I was on my way to training one day, and I had my first overdose, and I woke up in the hospital. And I was so embarrassed by it that I never went back. I never called anybody, never told anybody, and I just never went back to training. And I just went off the deep end with drugs. I'm 33 now. I'm coming up on 34, and I made the decision, you know, about six weeks ago that I'm not going to miss the opportunity to compete in something that I always wanted to do. You know, so I've been training six days a week right now, uh, a couple couple times a day in MMA. And the gym told me I have to train specifically with them for six to 12 months before they'll actually let me fight under them. But that's what I'm doing now. It's it's really, really improving my my mental game as well as routine. Just having some kind of exercise, some kind of goal in the health realm, I've watched how it goes into every area of my life outside of there also. And I love it, man. I'm addicted to it. I love getting punched. I love punching. (laughs) Fun. (laughs) Adam, you know what I love about that is that this is such a great example um, in your life, because if you really want to go to the next level, and this is for everyone listening here, it's, it's just a truth. It's a kingdom principle. You have to be able to receive and be under submission to something if you're going to grow in your um, mandate of leadership over your life and the territory God gives you. So what I love about that story is, you know, some guys would go into the gym and say, what, six months, eight months, I got to submit to this? Like, nah, I'll go find another place. And there are other places that'll probably put you out quicker. But I love how you're submitting to the process. And I think that's extremely powerful. That's a that's actually a powerful metaphor for a lot of areas of life that we could carry that over to. Um, before we go on your current mission, because I, I love this. Um, I want to just dig into your story for a moment. There's a couple things that stood out to me. I mean, all of it, but there was a couple things that you said that I want to dig into a little bit more. Um, you talked about like during this time when you were, well, let me start with this. First question is when you first used, did you ever, like, what did you think was going to happen? Did you ever see where your life would go? Because Every addiction starts with one decision first. I mean, were you thinking like, hey, I'm just going to party. This is going to feel good. Or there was some acceptance or validation. And what would you say? I also want to hear what would you say to someone who's faced with the decision of doing something they know they shouldn't do for the very first time? Because I don't think people think it will ever take them to where the extremes that you have been to in your life. Yeah. Uh, There's a couple different ways that I have to answer this question, right? Um, at 12 years old, we are not capable of making lifelong decisions. We're not capable of seeing the outcome of something at that age. And a vast majority of teenagers admit to drinking and experimenting with other drugs. So I also believe that there might be something different with me genetically. They've found a gene that 25% of, uh, adults have that, you know, that 80% of addicts have this gene and 25% of people have it. So that's, you know, something there. Um, I don't know about the decision I made at that point. If I ever even thought about the future of it, there wasn't, there wasn't that thought process. And the only education I had around drugs and alcohol was dare. And the way that it, the way that dare was presented to kids at 
10, 11 years old, it just didn't work. Plain and simple didn't work. Um, so if, if someone is faced with a decision of trying something for the first time, if they know Jesus already, um, then I think that's your answer. I mean, if you know you shouldn't do something and you're thinking about trying it your first time, that's, that's a door that gets wider and wider and wider, whether it's, whether it's a sexual thing, whether it's drugs or alcohol, um, you know, it only goes worse. It doesn't, it doesn't like, oh, I'm just going to dabble in this thing. No, it only gets worse. It's a door that opens sin and sin leads to death. There is no dabbling. That's so well said, Adam. Um, when you were going through this process and you were going to, you know, you still explained you were going to church, you were showing up to Bible studies. Were you just going through the motions or were you went to, the, when you went to those and participated, um, were you trying to get free at that point or was it more of like an outward show? I was trying to get, get free a hundred percent. I was reading my Bible for hours a day on my own. Uh, I was, I was praying. I was writing letters to God. Uh, I don't, you know, and thank you for this question because I haven't actually dove into this. Like during that time I was legitimately trying, bro. Like, and anybody out there that, that has an addict in your life, or if you are struggling, like it's, it's real. Like it gets a hold of you in a way that you just can't explain. Uh, they they've done studies on the brain that show that when an addict is addicted, our brain reacts to that drug that we're addicted to the same as air and water. So our body and our mind actually thinks that we are needing that as much as air or water. And you know, I don't I don't know if there was. I believe that everything happened in a way that was for me to be able to help other people. You know. Um, and I, I never had a bad experience with church. Everybody was always welcoming. I didn't have any of that, you know, get out because you're an addict type stuff. Um, I was trying and I had a lot of support in there. Yeah. And the reason I asked that question, it's not it's not only for you. It's a general question of when someone's living a lifestyle um, and they're making bad choices or they have secret sin in their life. A lot of times I find that, you know, guys still show up and do the motions, right? We still go to church. We still check boxes. We still want to look good on the outside. So thanks for sharing that. Cause I wanted to uncover what it was for you. So there was this attempt and, and, you know, what I took away from your, your story, what made it different the last time it was like this radical honesty, but what, what else can you tell us about why was that last time so different? You know, what was it in you? Was it, it seems like you were at the point of just desperation and you wanted to just, you were done. You were done with everything. Um, if you had to point an emotion on it or, or put something on it as to what made it the pivotal moment of when everything shifted, um, how would you explain that? Yeah. You said something there uh, that I want to touch on. When, when people are trying to look good, that's, you know, that's fear of man right? We're trying to look good for man on the outside. At the same time, there's a fear of man on the other side. I knew I didn't look good, bro. I was homeless. I smelled bad. I was addicted to drugs. I wasn't trying to look good to anybody. I was telling everybody I'm addicted to drugs, trying to get clean. And while I was doing that though, it was almost an excuse for me to continue the behavior because, oh, well, I'm, I'm looking for help. I'm being honest. I'm telling all these people I'm making this plan. The difference that happened was that I no longer relied on the human power. I no longer was looking for the pastor that was going to be able to save me. I knew that that didn't exist anymore because I was out there looking for it and it wasn't there. 
So this time, the emotion was, I am giving everything up to God. Everything. My plans, my, my life. Like, I literally wanted to die, bro. I, I didn't, I didn't want to just like, okay, God, get me clean. At the end, it was like, I literally didn't want this life anymore. So I was willing to give it up. Yeah. So powerful. And you were, you, you shifted your identity too. Cause it sounds like even in reciting that, that thing you were saying, I'm addicted to drugs. This is what I'm doing. It's like, you were finding your identity in what you were doing at that point in time. Would that be correct? Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. It was in my first 30 days on the, on the latter end of them, I actually learned my identity, my, my identity, my sonship, my, the unconditional love for me. I always loved God, like, but I was so afraid of him because I'm doing all these things so I can love him, but I can't feel his love for me. But that's just not true. He loved us first. Yep. Yeah. There's some religious stuff that we got to work through on that journey. Um, thanks for sharing this, Adam. I want to, I want to pivot forward um, to your current mission. You know, you said one thing that really stuck with me. You talked about um, co-laboring with the Lord as you were turning this corner and moving into, you know, what we could explain as a partnership with God. Talk about that a little bit and talk about that moving forward into your current mission. So we also let the audience know, like, what is Adam up to right now? Yeah. Co-laboring with God is the, I mean, it's the best place you can possibly be as a, as an entrepreneur or as a Christian, because, you're not working on your own power. You're working within the will of God and he's the creator of all things. But he also gave us dominion over this planet. So for these visions of mine to come true, I can't just, you know, pray, God, make it happen. No, I have to pray for him to show me how to do it. That's, that's what it is. And I went, I went to this 100X conference and, you know, we've talked about this a bit. But while I'm there in the front row, uh, listening to Jesus culture and I'm worshiping, God whispers to me and he said, your new company is called Recovered on Purpose. And I, and I stopped worshiping. I look up. I'm like, dang, that's good. I pull out my phone and I get the secretary of state done, get the website and everything. Had no idea what it was. But during the process of building that, he kept whispering to me. He would give me a seed and I would do that. And then give me another one. I would do that. Give me another one. I would do that. And notice how I keep saying he would give me a seed and I would do that. It's the daily bread. What did he give you to do today? And as I followed that, you know, first it was writing my own book. And I, and I published my book, From Chains to Saved, One Man's Journey Through the Spiritual Realm of Addiction. And, yeah, and uh, in the process of writing that, I didn't even realize it, but I had to write it and publish it in five weeks to get it done for my two years clean and sober. And in the process of doing that, I actually created a system for any addict with a recovery story to implant their story into the blueprint that I made to share their own story. And that's how God works. When, when I do the work, he has this big vision that I can't imagine yet. And if I just do this right now and I see how big this one is, then he opens up the next one. So what I'm doing now, Recovered on Purpose is all about helping addicts in recovery, equipping them with everything they need to share their stories powerfully with the world to help addicts out there suffering, find the message of hope that they need to find recovery. And then we also, you know, help addicts that are out there find recovery, however we can do that. And then we share our stories in the school system to deter the future generations from going down the path of addiction. And during this process, when we're talking about co-laboring with God, bro, the vision that I have is eradicating like addiction that is unconscious. You know, kids getting addicted to drugs and not being able to stop when they're 19, 20, 21 
and they didn't even have the option when they were young. I believe it is 100% possible for us to, as a, as a culture, as a community, get rid of the drug addiction that's happening to people that they don't want to be in. There's a difference between using drugs for fun and getting addicted to drugs against your will. And that's a vision that I can, I can have the heart to make come true. And when I point at my mind, I mean, that's, that's where this vision happens. And my heart is coming into my mind there. But God has the actual vision to make it happen. So I can have the heart and the mind to see it happening, but not how to get there step by step by step. So as God shows me what to do and I do it, I just have faith that he's going to make it happen. Yeah. So well said, man. When you were talking about the seeds, I was almost thinking like breadcrumbs. And then you said our daily bread. So that's the way God does it. He goes from level to level with us. And when you're faithful with something small, you get the next piece. So I love the way you explain that vision that God gives you, because for any man, if you're here, here's a test to tell if your vision's from God or if it's from yourself. I think if you can accomplish it on your own strength and with your own resources, it's your vision, right? It's yeah. just from you. It, when God gives you a vision, he always stretches you because he always speaks to us from our future. So he's talking to us from where he sees us in the future where it's already done and he calls us towards that. That's one of the ways we can know his voice because there's a future tense to it and it's never past tense. And if you're hearing that voice, that's obviously the voice of the enemy, not your father. So there's so much good stuff here. I, you, we are definitely going to do a part two because, Adam, you're a gifted entrepreneur. You've had major success in your life in multiple categories after you made this transition on the road to your current mission. And I want to share that on another episode as we talk more about what it looks like for ambitious Christian business guys to partner and co-labor with the Lord. But for right now, where can people connect with you and just leave us with that message of, what you have, if, you know, I don't know if the guys listening to us are suffering with any kind of addiction or something to the level that you help people with. Um, maybe there are. So what's the message for those guys? And then what's the message for, you know, if we have someone like that in our life, we're, we're touched by addictions, by um, just the current culture and landscape that we're in right now. Where can we point people? Who is it for? And how do they get in touch with you? Yeah. If there's someone out there that is struggling with an addiction right now, the number one thing is get honest. Just start getting honest with the people around you. Start Googling fellowships and different recovery aspects for that. Um, I don't think that I have a, a, a program for everybody that's going to get you clean. But the, the thing that happens for an addict that wants to get clean is they find how to do it. And to connect with me, I actually am giving away my book for free, the digital and audio copy now. And anybody that's in recovery, I also give away a free relapse prevention worksheet. You can find all this at recoveredonpurpose.com. That's recovered with an ED because I believe that, you know, Jesus gets us recovered forever. And then if you want to follow some, my show, I've got a, uh, the, the Recovered on Purpose show. It airs five days a week and it's to add purpose to add personal development to the community of addiction recovery that they didn't learn in the 12 steps or treatment. And you can find that on my Facebook page, Recovered on Purpose, or on my YouTube channel. You guessed it, Recovered on Purpose. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, this show is so good. I've been a guest on it. I was honored to be a guest, Adam. Uh, but you bring on like high-level guests, great conversations. 
And I find that it's not even if you have a history of addiction, you can still benefit from your show because of the topics you talk about. And obviously, we're going to touch on this on a future episode, but Adam's been super successful as well. So there's a lot of tactics, strategies, um, development strategies that you bring to your platform for the people you serve that I think anyone can benefit from, honestly. So Adam, I love you, bro. I'm so glad we connected. We have a great relationship. It's been awesome walking through life with you. And I was honored to have you on the show today. Yeah, I love you too, brother. I uh, I really, really look up to you. And, you know, I, I I talk about you at least once a week with people when I'm mention, mentioning like you need a mentor. I explain what you want to look for in a mentor. And I tell the story about when I decided that, you know, I need more Josh in my life. So oh, wow. <laughs> excited for this, brother. Thank you for having me on. I'm so honored, man. Um, we will drop all the links below. Guys, grab his book. It's super powerful. It's an incredible story. It will inspire. It will motivate you. And until the next episode, let's raise the standard. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If what you heard here today resonated with you and you want to fully step in to be the man that God created and called you to be, then I want to give you a free guide. It's called The Map and you can get it at standard59.com. In the map, I will give you 12 biblical strategies that every kingdom man pursuing biblical masculinity must honor. If you're ready to step off the sidelines and pursue the upward call, then get the map today at standard59.com. That's standard59.com. Hey, if there's a brother in your life that needs to hear this message, then share this show with them and please leave us a rating and review. It helps get the message out there to more men. Until the next show, guys, let's raise the standard.